Welcome, Wildcats, to another episode of the Weber State Weekly Football Show. We are a member of the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Colby Peterson. On the show today, we've got uh, a familiar face, one we haven't seen in a while, but we're glad to have back. Uh, Steven Salmon. Steve, how's it going, man? Uh, how's been? How's the teaching life? It's pretty good. Can't complain. Having fun. Enjoying yeah. it. Teaching in a great department. Other, teaching a great department and enjoying being on the other side of the athletics window. <laughs> ah, I can't blame you there, man. No stress, just teaching the kids and watching the game. That's all you got to worry about now. No exactly. concerns. <laughs> no, nope. I'm happy to be a. I loved it, but uh, happy to be on the other side now. Yes. Also on the show, we have a special guest tonight uh, joining us. We're going to talk a little bit about the national FCS playoff picture. And for that, we had to bring in an expert. So we went and tapped the Blue Buds podcast. Zach, I should have asked you this before and I didn't do it. McKinnell? Yeah, McKinnell. Oh, I nailed it. Zach McKinnell from the Zach, thanks so much for coming on to Weber State Weekly tonight. Chat a little bit about the national picture. I'm really, really looking forward to your, your expertise, man. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me, man. Um, I know we got to meet up in Chattanooga the other week. Hopefully, yeah. uh, get to make it out to a uh, to a Weber State game soon, man. So that's definitely on the the, the to do list for for our for our uh, show. We will definitely say one of the most beautiful scenes from an FCS stadium in the country. It's nice. I mean, basically, our stadium is carved right into a mountain. There's actually a fault line that goes right through this field. Uh, I don't know if a lot of Wildcat fans know that, but it's true. The fault line goes right through the center of Stewart Stadium. <laughs> so, but it anyway. Caused signif- it caused significant issues with the new football building. Yeah. So had to, cha- that- had to change everything their plans. Yeah. But it's there. And uh, if you get out there, Zach, obviously we'll do our best to host you. Um, looking forward to playoffs, hopefully, uh, depending on how things go in the next few weeks. But uh, yeah, man, can't wait to have you in Ogden. So guys, let's talk a little bit about today's show. Of course, like we said, we're going to have this national look from Zach. He's going to talk a little bit. We're going to talk with him a little bit about the 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 bracket is kind of firming up a little bit. There are now three weeks remaining in the in the FCS schedule before um, selection Sunday, which will be on Sunday, November twentieth. So we're getting very very close. Now we're in November. Can you believe it, guys? We are in November, man. It's just crazy. It feels like the season has gone so fast. So we'll talk to Zach about his thinks, kind of where he thinks that things are pretty pretty firm. And also where things could still shift a little bit in these final few weeks. Uh, we've got some key matchups in key conferences that are still on the schedule, ready to happen, including in the Big Sky Conference. Uh, Then we will talk a little bit about Weber State, Montana. Last weekend, the Wildcats come away with a 24-21. Was it 24-21? Was that what it was? Yeah. 24-21 win against the Grizz at Stewart Stadium. It's a three-game win streak over the Grizz at Stewart Stadium. We'll talk all about it, kind of how it went down and uh, the quality win. But before, and then finally, we're going to, we're going to bring back Waldo's Magic Gate Ball, guys. We're going to shake Waldo's Magic Gate Ball for these last three weeks of the conference tournament, of, of the conference schedule to see how maybe things might shake out. We'll see what the, what the eight ball thinks. But before we get into all that, I want to encourage everybody, subscribe to the show, rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all great places to find Weber State Weekly. We're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all good places to interact with us. Uh, we got some DMs earlier today from folks asking a little bit about getting to Ogden. Actually, a Weber State fan in um, in Alabama. So I was like, hey, neighbor, what's up, man? <laughs> Actually, so I said, come, if you come to Nashville, come hang out with me, man. And so he said, would love to, but he was, he was looking for some tips on how to 
get to a Weber State game, all that good stuff. So uh, Wildcat Nation is growing. Out, not, it's more than just Utah these days, folks. And then, of course, we have our Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash Weber State Weekly. I uh, want to thank our patrons so very much. I did a couple of recruiting interviews this weekend, and uh, one of them has a really funny story attached to it. So I'll be uh, loading that up for you guys this week um, as I kind of get a break in the work schedule. But uh, yeah, we did. Basically, the story is we did an interview. And then hours later, the kid announced for uh, he announced his commitment to not Weber State. <laughs> so uh, but we'll put the interview up for you folks. Anyway, if you're a Patreon supporter, you get first access to that. And uh, we've got a couple of others that are also sitting in queue waiting. So, guys, all right. Mischief managed. We've gone through the intro. Let's talk a little bit about the FCS national um, spotlight. So the 24 teams are is the size of the bracket. Some people have asked that maybe we should have more. I disagree with that, but that's another show entirely. 24 teams this year, and now with three weeks left, we're starting to see, I mean, I think it was the NEC already has their confirmed champion in St. Francis. Is that right, Zach? Yeah, St. Francis says mostly due because Mary Mack is not eligible still for the postseason. They're still in that transition period, which that's a whole nother show too. That's the dumbest NCAA rule of all time. I mean, they're already at a disadvantage coming up. So why are we penalizing them for moving up and taking that risk? It's, it's, it's dumb, but yeah, St. Francis gets it. They beat Sacred Heart this weekend, like 44 to 14. This just dominant win. Yeah, man. And so, I mean, things kind of shaping up there, like we said, some some folks think, but still some spots that could have some movement. So let's start out with the first question here, man. I mean, who do you feel will probably there are eight seeds in the um, in in the mix right now? And if you don't remember from recent years, a seed means that you will get that first round by. So you get to hang out and then whoever plays in the first round will get to come to you. And uh, you get to play them in your place. And depending on how high your seat is, maybe you get to play your way all the way to Frisco, Texas. So eight teams potentially getting seated this year. Zach, I wanted to kind of put it to you, man. Right now, who are you feeling like you think would be those eight seeds? Because it feels like half of those are pretty firm at this point. Yeah, I, you know, it, the order is always going to be, you know, an issue just depending on what happens down the stretch. But I think South Dakota State probably has a top two seed locked up. We'll see. I think it's going to come down to them and the big the uh, the big sky champ to see who probably gets that top two seed. I think South Dakota State is probably going to have the edge. I got Montana State at two. I have Montana State coming out. Um, of the, I think they're the best big, big sky team currently, especially with Isaiah Fonzi potentially coming back soon. Sean Chambers coming back. They're still waiting on, I think, two starting offensive linemen coming back potentially to the end of the season. I I personally think Montana State is going to come through. In terms of the third seed, I got North Dakota State here. I think they're going to find a way to to, to probably lock in a top four seed. Then I got Sac State at four. I think it's going to be a tight race between them and Montana State. Then the bottom four seeds, man, the order is always going to be a huge debate, but I do like Weber State to get one of those. I think Holy Cross with the win over Fordham, I don't foresee them losing. I think they're going to get one of the lower seeds. And then I think UIW has done enough to probably get one of the last two seeds. And then the eight seed for me is going to come down to the SoCon champ and whoever comes out of the CAA. Right now, it's probably going to be Sanford and William & Mary just due to the fact that William & Mary has an FBS win. And by the end of the season, we'll probably have 
four or five top 25 wins. I'm going to go with William and Mary right now, squeaking by that eight seed, but it's really going to depend on whether Stanford wins out. And right now, I think the SoCon has the potential to cannibalize itself because when you look at Stanford, they have to travel to Chattanooga in next weekend. And then they also have to host Mercer to end the season. So if they go one and one in those games, I still think they get in the playoffs, but I think that that would probably knock them out of contention for a seed. So I think that final seed is going to come down to William and Mary and probably Sanford at this point. Yeah, I mean, and then also, like you said, Incarnate Word with an FBS win of their own. They did have a stumble. Um, I can't remember who they lost. I think they lost to South Louisiana. Was that who it was? Yeah, Incarnate. Yeah, they lost on a Hail Mary. Yeah, and so it's a close game, you know, but they yeah. do have the FBS win over Nevada, I believe. And so that's mm-hmm. another thing to consider in all of this is that the the, the committee likes FBS wins, but they also don't penalize you for FBS losses, of course, right? Because... FCS teams don't normally beat FBS schools, but should they do? And Weber State has one of those, obviously, this season, beating Utah State 35-7. to um, That will play in your favor, and Incarnate Word has that. So does William & Mary. William & Mary beating uh, Charlotte, wasn't it, yeah. earlier in the season? And so should William & Mary come out of this? I think, do they have Richmond this weekend? Yes. So, I mean, that's going to be a big game for them. Richmond has started to come on this year, but... Should William and Mary handle Richmond this uh, this weekend? The the pass starts to clear up for them to uh, take one of those CAA seeds as well, right? Yeah, the the question is really going to become. I think Richmond is if Richmond wins out, it's going to be really tough. But also, the X factor here is also New Hampshire. New Hampshire actually leads the CAA now; they're undefeated. But yeah. New Hampshire ends their season with big games. They got Delaware, Richmond. I mean, that they have like. I think three of the four top teams in the CAA to end the season. I don't see them winning, going, winning out in that one. Now, if they do win out and they finish undefeated in the CAA, their only two losses would be to Western Michigan. And then a, it's a bad loss, a double, uh, I think a 20 point loss in North Carolina central. I think that would possibly keep them out of the seed range, but at, they, they would be in contention for that eight seed. If they find a way to win out. Yeah. North Carolina central, a good MIAC team this season, right? Like, but Stephen, I want to bring you into the conversation, man. Uh, questions for for Zach here um, about the national playoff picture. So, all right. I mean, again, we're Weaver State. Let's, you know, you've got us there. So let's, you know, let's go chaos theory. <laughs> I we, love it. We beat Sac State and Montana retains Brawl of the Wild. So you've got three seven and one or eight and one. Uh, you've got three one loss FCS Big Sky teams. How are we ranking them? So, so if Weber had at, at that point, Weber would have wins over the other two team. Uh, the other oh, and then your one loss would be to Montana State. Though that that would be a tough one. Mm, but I, okay, so for me, I'm not on the committee, but for me, I would have Weber ranked above everyone else because Weber has wins over Sac State and Montana, and the one loss to Montana State, as much as Tommy Mallott went off that game and, and he had a huge game, what I, I just I can't get past the long snapper giving up eight points by himself. And so I still think that game was a lot more competitive. Just I, I feel like Weber State is a better team than that, even the score shows, even though it wasn't a blowout. Mm-hmm. So for me, 
I think Weber State should be the, the second seed, just in my personal opinion. But at the end of the day, I think Weber State and Montana State would probably just be two and three, potentially two and four. I, I think in that scenario, Weber State and Montana State would have to be your top two seeds from the big sky, just in my opinion. So, I mean, do you, do you think that um, because then obviously like Montana State, their only loss would be to, you know, an in-state rival. But Montana has had their struggles having lost to Sacramento State, Idaho and now Weber State. Um, does that hurt them then worse, like you said, because losing to Montana, who is a less than, you know, not not the quality of opponent that you would want to lose to, but also Rivalries are weird, man. Like when you got to play your rival, weird things happen. So their rival just so happens to be a blue blood program. Um, how, how do you, how do you, you know, square that loss with a team that has been very good and did beat Weber state in Bozeman in spite of, you know, the, the things that Weber did give them in that game. And Tommy Malat absolutely had a day. I think out of, but the three teams in this scenario, they would have the worst loss, even though it was a robbery game. I understand that anything can happen, but that's the worst loss out of them. In my opinion, Montana state, a close loss. Uh, I mean, yeah, Weber state lost a close game to Montana state Sac state. If they, depending on how the game looks this weekend, like if Weber goes in there and beats them by 30, then we're having a different conversation, but I don't see that. I don't see that happen. I think this is a close game regardless of how it goes. So I do think Montana state would have the worst loss out of the two teams, which is why I said, in my opinion, I think Weber State should be the two seed. It's just, man, so you know how picky the committee can get sometimes with just where they put teams in general. And, and honestly, in terms of the, the seeding, man, when you get down to the semifinals, man, it, it does matter. Because you, you like having a game for, for Weber State at home, rather than let's just say you're on the side of the bracket having to go to having to go to Fargo or having to go back to, to Bozeman. And that's a difference. It's a different environment having to go on the road when it's late December with a chance to go to the national championship. So I think Weber should be rewarded with the two seed, but man, you never know. You never know what the committee and what they're thinking. But I do agree that Montana State would have the worst loss out of the three candidates for the big sky. Yeah, and how do you see Idaho so, in that situation? Oh, Stephen, go ahead, man. Oh, so I was going to say, does Montana have to beat Montana State to make the playoffs? I think so. I know some other people don't, but at the end of the day, you have to look at resumes. Brand recognition to me can only account so far. And being a quote unquote blue blood program should only carry you so far. Is their resume, I mean, let's just say North Dakota. Is their resume really better than North Dakota? Uh, no, because <sighs> in my view, because North Dakota barely survives NAU, right? They get out of Flagstaff yep. with a win, but it's close. And NAU has gotten absolutely stomped by almost every Big Sky team, right? Now, of course, they've got some some other games in the Valley that you could say, well, you know, Kyler, Kyler Neal with the Eagles Power Hour and the FCS Fans Nation always says it's all about matchups. And that's 100% true. But North Dakota, are they that much better? Uh, I'm going to lean toward no, uh, but it's all about matchups. Yeah, matchups. And then let's just look at the bubble, too. I mean, just in terms of who could be there, the SOCON, just a cluster right now. Are Does Montana have a better... Is Montana with all those losses better than Mercer? Their only two losses being to, let's say, Samford in a close one and then that loss to Chattanooga. 
I, I don't know. I, I know it's SOCOM versus Big Sky. And of course, the Big Sky is a better conference. But at the end of the day, I still don't think Montana would win that resume battle if you took a blank resume and said, who deserves to be here? Hmm. And then you even then you even have the CAA. What if Richmond pulls off a, a, an upset down the stretch and they and they get a big ranked win? Montana just the, the problem is that big game against South Dakota that was supposed to be in that Big Sky MVFC challenge. It hasn't aged very well to be honest with you. I mean, South Dakota hasn't been the team that they thought. And also let's not forget, I know it was a win, but when you start picking hairs of resumes, that, that, um, what was it? The Idaho state game, they looked horrible in that game. It was a win, but a seven point win over Idaho state is not giving you any credit in my opinion on a resume. So for me, if Montana gets in, let's say they win the next two and lose to Montana State, if they don't make it competitive where they lose like Fordham lost to Holy Cross or you guys lost to Montana State where it's a competitive game and it's just like some fluke thing happens or they make a good play, I don't think there's a good argument outside of brand recognition to put Montana in the playoffs. Mm, that's crazy because, you know, the the expectations in, in Missoula this season were national championship obviously they've had injuries things have you know gone not the way that they had hoped but steven what's your take on that man where it's like montana could potentially be out of the playoffs altogether as a first four out team i I mean with the fear of being doxxed by the montana fan base uh, (laughs) (laughs) they are not a good team um, they didn't look good. Um, they the only reason the score was where it was at was because I think they got a good kick return, um, but they they did not look impressive um, at all. Um, their defense is good, but their offense is a mess. And I know that they're working off a backup quarterback, um, but you know the fans are calling for a hawk's head and. I mean, I'm never going to advocate firing anybody, but they had really high expectations this year. And I don't, and you can't go in and lose three straight big time games, including a home game against Idaho. Like you, you can't just lose those games. Yeah. Obviously a stunner there. Um, but Zach, uh, kind of so we talked a little bit about some of the moving parts right it sounds like moving parts still in the CAA like we said a big a big matchup between William and Mary and Richmond this weekend if should William and Mary get stunned by Richmond that that shakes things up a little bit New Hampshire still has a couple they haven't played very many good teams but they have some teams coming up that could very well beat them even though they're sitting at the top of the standings right now just simply because they have a rotational schedule the way the big sky does everybody can't play everybody so you miss certain teams certain years um, it sounds like the, the the conferences that really have moving parts then are the SOCON, the CAA, and maybe the Southland? Or is the Southland pretty much buttoned up because it's really just Incarnate Word and that's it? So the Southland, it is no question Incarnate Word is the best team. And Incarnate Word is in it's not gonna it's probably unless something just out of the blue happens they're not losing another game. The problem is they lost that tiebreaker with Southeastern Louisiana. They got upset by Texas A&M Commerce. They yeah. did get a they, they did get a big um win the other week uh, over Jacksonville State though, who has been has has really shocked me this year in the first year under um head coach Rich Rod, but unless Southeastern Louisiana loses a game, they're going to be in. And two Southland teams are getting in which really messes up the bubble. Because Southeastern Louisiana is probably not a team who would get in otherwise. If they don't win the Southland, I don't think Southeastern Louisiana has a resume to get in. 
just in just in my opinion. But that's going to be a question mark. But that, that's really the only moving part there is if Southeastern Louisiana wins out, they get the auto bid incarnate worth still in. But if Southeastern Louisiana loses, they're right in that probably first four out conversation. I just don't think they have enough signature wins and a loss to a first year FCS program at home is something I, I think the committee is going to look at. And even, even as good as commerce has played this year, you can't lose that game. I, I'm, I'm sorry, just in my opinion. And the CAA and SOCON though are the two X factors. You look at the CAA, New Hampshire, William and Mary, Richmond, Elon, Delaware, Rhode Island, all have arguments to potentially be there. Villanova, if they went out, we'll see, but I don't think Villanova is in the conversation. Rhode Island, in my opinion, probably is out. It's really going to come down to those top five teams. And what where Elon really slides in, in my opinion, I think they're the, one of the four last four in teams is because they got that win over Delaware and they got a win over William and Mary. And they got a win over Richmond. That's three big wins. And their last two games are against UAlbany and Hampton. They're not losing those games. Soft, yeah, soft games. Yeah, and they get you all. Hey, don't don't home. trash the Great Danes. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> they, they get disrespected enough. I agree, but I don't see Elon I, losing I those up, two games. I grew up in Albany. <laughs> I, that's that's fair, mate. Listen, I'll, I'll give the Great Danes a little bit of a chance this weekend. But Elon's sitting no. at eight and three. I don't think you leave them out. I understand that the bubble is going to be tight, but Elon's got the resume to get in. I think New Hampshire, William and Mary and Delaware, I don't foresee those teams missing based on what they've done thus far, especially with William and Mary and Delaware having FBS wins on their resume and top 25 wins on their resume. The X factors, Richmond, they got a brutal schedule down the stretch. They play all the top teams in the CAA back to back to back to end the season. They're going to have to go two and one minimum to have a shot. I potentially can even see 0 and 3 happening. Richmond, in my opinion, would be one of the first four teams out in this scenario. But I think four teams for the CAA a year after James Madison left and everyone was questioning the strength of the conference and William and Mary potentially or New Hampshire competing for a seed is a far cry from what we thought that conference was going to be. And we'll see what happens with Richmond down the stretch. But the SOCON is very interesting. I mean, Colby, I know me and you were talking about before the show, you have four teams right now that are sitting with resumes that have a shot to make it. That They're all four top in the top 15 of the rankings. You got Mercer, Chattanooga, Furman, Sanford. It's going to be hard to keep any of them out. Furman's only losses are to Clemson, and um and Sanford with a backup quarterback, by the way, too. Sanford undefeated in FCS play. Their only losses to Georgia. I don't think anyone's faulting them for losing to Georgia and Athens. And they only lost by 33. They lost to Georgia by less than Auburn did. Just to throw that out there. Oh, man, you're gonna throw your alma mater yeah, under the bus? Zach? Throw, throw them <laughs> Auburn, throwing them right under the bus, man. It's been a long week over there on the plains. But then yeah. Mercer. Only FC, only FCS losses to Chattanooga. Chattanooga only FCS loss is to Furman. Yeah, Furman, yeah. I mean, it's it's chaos. The the X factor is going to be Sanford, though. If Sanford wins out, I mentioned earlier, they can be in contention for a seat, in my opinion. But they travel to Chattanooga. COVID, we, me and you have been there this year. That's all going to be a hard environment to win, especially if Chattanooga gets healthy in some really key spots. And then also going to Mercer the week after is going to be really tough. And then also Furman travels to Mercer next weekend. So next weekend, you get Sanford to Chattanooga, Furman to Mercer, we're going to find everything out we need that week. But I still think if if all these teams can go, you know, one and one or be competitive, I still think they all got resumes to be in. Just me personally, but it's it's going to come down to are they going to pick a bubble team from 
the the SoCon, are they going to pick a bubble team from the MVFC or Big Sky? Is it going to come down to conference brand recognition or is it going to come down to actual resumes? And that's my biggest question right now. Yeah, because I had uh, just a couple more conferences that we haven't mentioned very much. And obviously the Valley, um, South Dakota State in contention for the number one seed should they win out. Um, they definitely have an argument for that. Only an FBS loss to Iowa, which you can argue the quality of that loss right now. <laughs> it continues to age poorly. But, um, but the, you know, a, a power five team, you know, in the Big Ten. And then also North Dakota State, who has only lost to South, South Dakota State. So those two for sure. But anybody else in the Valley? Uh, you know, I got North Dakota in my last four in. The, the X factor, though, is Illinois State, in my opinion. Yeah. They got bird. some big games coming up. They, they have a solid resume up to this point. It's just, man, do you, tr- do you trust them down the stretch? They're not, I don't think anyone expected them to really be competing for a playoff spot this year, but. Last week, they were receiving top 25 votes. They got a great offense. Uh, Zeke Vandenberg on the defense side of the ball is having a hell of a year. It's just, man, I, I don't know if they have the quality wins that are necessary if they don't run the table moving forward. So I think that would be the X Factors, Illinois State. But right now, I don't I don't see the Valley getting more than three teams in. Just, then, just right now. Because if North Dakota gets the doors blown off of them by North Dakota State that's going to be a terrible last impression on the committee. And, and also that uh, was, I think you mentioned earlier, the Northern, the Northern Arizona game hasn't aged well. I mean, Northern Arizona at the time was about to be ranked and people were really high on them and they kind of collapsed down the stretch. I think they still do that in the win over Missouri state on the resume looks atrocious now. Yeah. It doesn't, it it doesn't look as good as it looked early in the season, right? When a lot of people expected Missouri state to honestly, probably maybe even be a contender, but they've proven themselves to basically be just, you know, Jason Shelley and that's it. (laughs) That's what they are. Exactly. And, but you know, they're five and two in the FCS right now, their losses are to really good teams. And I think if I'm not mistaken, according to the Massey ratings, they they've played um, like a, I think a top five strength to schedule. Yeah, off the top of my head, that's right. That's going to be their saving grace. I think if it comes down to splitting hairs for the committee for the last four and last four out, I think the fact that they played a top five strength to schedule is why, in my opinion. So if I released my bracketology yesterday, North Dakota is my last team in. Like it came down to them versus Montana, and due to the strength of schedule for North Dakota, I gave it to North Dakota. Um, last last couple questions here for you, Zach. Um, we haven't talked about the Patriot League. There are two potential teams from Patriot that could get in, obviously, with the win last weekend, Holy Cross, likely to get the auto bid from the Patriot. Totally understandable. What a shootout. If you watched that game, you missed out. Or if you didn't watch that game, you missed out because it was on before many of the Big Sky games. So I was watching it here in Tennessee. And uh, man, I hope you took the over if you bet that game. <laughs> it was absolutely wild. But Fordham, obviously, like Fordham loses that game in, in overtime on a two-point conversion. It's just absolutely crazy. And, um, you know, uh, what's the guy's name? Tim DeMora, their quarterback, who has been absolutely incredible. The kid's thrown it like he's very... I mean, for, for big sky fans, like Tim Demorat is the kind of quarterback that would play at Eastern Washington folks. Like that's who he is. And he is absolutely carrying Fordham into the future. That game was a shootout. What it ended up being like 53 to 52 was the final score. Yep. It's just nuts. So Fordham has also a close FBS loss to Ohio as well. I think that the, the loss and the, um, and the Ohio loss are their only two losses this season. Right. Yes. So, so they have potentially an argument to be in, but 
Patriot is not a terribly strong league. So how do you see them? Okay, so I've released my bracketology based on what I think the committee's doing. I think they get left out just because the bubble's going to be so tight. Yeah. For me, though, if I was on the committee, I'd have them in, no question. You're you're nine and two. I know it's the Patriot League, but you have nine, you know, FCS, FBS, like D1 wins, which is great. They didn't play any D2 teams, anything like that. I mean, they played real competition. They do have multiple CAA wins, too. They scheduled CAA heavy in the out of conference. So they do have wins over, I think, Monmouth and then a, and then a few other ones. But their loss to Ohio, their quarterback goes for 500 plus yards, seven touchdowns, and they lose last second. I mean, last second. What, what do you want them to do? Uh, for a Patriot League team to be that competitive, I, I give them props for there. And then, so your two losses are are one score loss to Ohio, and then a one point overtime loss to Holy Cross, which is a top five team in the country and is going to be a yep. seed. Yep. I can't think of two more competitive losses right now, and that's two really good losses, regardless of what conference they play in. They got they got, in my opinion, a top two or three quarterback in the FCS. They they their offense is explosive. Their defense. Question, questionable, but I, I think it depends, you know, how they uh, we'll see how they perform in the playoffs. But I think if you're basing off a resume, which is what this is supposed to be, Fordham, in my opinion, should be in. But I do agree with you. In my opinion, I think the committee is going to look at them. And if there if there's some tough decisions to be made, they're going to lean on the conference strength and they're going to get left out. And it's going to be one of those situations that fans of Fordham are going to hold a grudge for the playoff committee until the end of time that this team didn't get a shot in Tim Demore's last season to make a run in the playoffs. Steven, I'll give you a final question here for, for Zach before we move on to the, uh, the Montana uh, analysis. Yeah. Um, predict the, un- predict the unpredictable. What's your, uh, what's your out of the bag? You know, no one's going to see it coming uh, playoff prediction. So I'll give you my sleeper for the playoffs. I'll leave it at that. Cause man, it's, you guys know it, it, it's, you can be great in the regular season, but playoff football is different. It just, yeah. a, a different level. It's, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's like the NBA playoffs. Great. Regular, the jazz. Amazing. The jazz. Team. <laughs> yeah. But when the playoffs come around, something seems to get in the water and they don't, they don't perform as well. Listen, I, I'm, I'm in the South too. The Hawks are the same way. So that's, there's, that's there's true. a lot of teams around the country that have been one seeds and, and haven't performed well. And there's a lot of teams this year. I don't know how you guys feel before I get to my sleeper. I think this is the most wide open. This, the title race has been in a long time. Yeah, I think I've said this on my show and I know the Bison fan are going to murder me for this. I think this is the worst North Dakota state team in over five years. I think they, any, any cogent Bison fan would probably agree with you right now. Like there are key deficiencies that the Bison have this year that they haven't had in years past where they have been very, very sound in those areas. I, I agree. They're normally I, I, in, yeah, they're normally invincible. And I think that there's a, that they've got a weakness this year. Whether you can find that weakness, that's another story, but they're not invincible. Yeah, because they're Definitely. different in the playoffs, right? Like they are a yeah. different team in the playoffs, man. It, well, the good part is everyone says going to go into Fargo is the death sentence for people on the playoffs. And it has been. I mean, that's a there's a good reason. But if they're the three or the four seed, there's a chance if you get to the semifinals, if you're Montana State, if you're South Dakota State or whoever. You're not going to have to go to the Fargo Dome. They're going to have to come to you. you. And if and if the Bison have to go to Bozeman, I feel like the playing field is much more equal 
in that scenario than if Montana State had to go into the Fargo Dome and win a semifinal game. But I I think I'll give you all my favorite. My favorite at this moment, if I had to put money on on, on November 1st, who I thought would win the title, I think Montana State's the favorite right now, especially if they're healthy in the playoffs. I think that team's motivated. Brent Vegan has done a hell of a job with that team. And I think he's got them locked in focus. And guys, you know how scary that offense is going to be when Isaiah Fonte comes back fully healthy. Yes, we and they do. got Malat, Sean Chambers. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. But my sleeper team out of the blue, I think is William and Mary. Mm. And I know at quarterback, there's some questions with Darius Wilson. I get it. But there's quarterback questions that me and Colby talked about it before the show with probably six of the eight seeds that potentially could come into the playoffs. Their defensive line is strong. Nate Lynn, all American last season. And they have the, I would say the favorite right now for the Buck Buchanan and John Pius right now, who's on pace to out, outpace Isaiah Land stats from last year, who was the reigning Buck, Buck Buchanan award winner. And they run the ball efficiently. We, we know you have to run the football moving, moving forward in the playoffs. They have Bronson Yoder, Malachi Amoa, and Darius Wilson can get loose out of the pocket. Their offensive line and defensive line are up to par. The one question I have, though, is if North Dakota State, Weber, Montana State take away the run, do you trust Wilson to go win the game? And to that question, I do think Montana State is a better team right now, top to bottom, than Sac State. Yeah. Yeah, Sac State has shown some cracks. I mean, we will find out who they are this weekend. I mean, obviously, they they beat Idaho last weekend. Big win for them. But they had to, you know, they kind of let off the gas in that game. Idaho had the lead late. I actually thought Idaho was going to win. But then, you know, they handle it. They drive down game-winning um, touchdown draw. They get the dub and retain you know, their top five um, status in the country. But, I mean... They they handled a a Grizz defense that was pretty good. You know, they have Cameron Scadaboo, folks. Like Cameron Scadaboo is probably gonna be your big sky um offensive player of the year. Like we've been saying, I've been saying that on Big Sky Big Takes now for like, I don't know, four weeks. Just the guy's numbers are video game, like they're just nuts. And against the Montana rush defense, which at the time was one of the best in the country. He still had 100 yards. Like, that's who that guy is. And so uh, we'll find out. But I think I'd have to agree with you, Zach, that probably top to bottom, when healthy, Montana State is a better team, even though, you know, the Wildcats have seen them with a front row seat and have felt the sting of a Tommy Mallott field day rushing. That's the X factor, man. Those quarterbacks are different. I mean, the fact that, and I I don't understand how, how there's so much depth at just, Randall, I, I don't understand. I mean, Tommy Malott goes down. He steps in for Matthew McKay last year, leads him to the national championship as a freshman. He gets hurt. Sean Chambers comes in and in like four games leads to country and rushing touchdowns by like almost 10. It doesn't, doesn't I mean, he has almost 20 rushing touchdowns this season as a backup quarterback. That makes Bonkers. no sense to me. I mean, if you talk to an average football fan who doesn't pay attention to FCS, they wouldn't understand what was going on down here. Yeah, it's just, it's just, just bonkers numbers, man. So, Zach, I want to ask one last question before uh, we move on. We, I mean, this has been a really good conversation. But we're a little bit over, but I do want to ask, I mean, well, actually, you know what? I guess my, my question is a simple one. Are you going to make your way to Frisco this year uh, or do you have other other commitments? Because I know that there's uh, some scheduling with the FBS National Championship game that week as well. 
I don't know. I'll, I will be in Frisco this year. I was supposed to be there last year, got COVID like two days before I was supposed to oh. head over. So, you know, at, it was, it was a weird time last year. We'll just, we'll just call it that. But this year we're good to go. I'll, I will be in Frisco this year. I know last year I had a bunch of people I wanted to meet and everything. So I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of people in the F- FCS space that I haven't been able to meet yet down there in Frisco. So I will be there and I'm, I'm hoping for, uh, hoping for a big game. And I, I'm really, really excited to go down there and cover my first national championship in person, man. Well, it should be a good time. Like you said, a lot of folks will be down there. I mean, if you haven't been, folks, even if your team hasn't gone, like obviously us Wildcat fans, we have not gone to the national championship <laughs> game yet, but uh, hopes are still high that eventually that will happen. Um, should go down anyway. It's a good time. I mean, see, there are a lot of folks that go who their teams are not playing, but just the camaraderie among the FCS, you know, people love the subdivision and uh, it's just a good time from what I've seen. So. Um, Zach, want to invite you, man. Like, if you want to stick around with us to talk a little bit about Montana, obviously you can, but now we're going to switch a little bit of gears. You can give us the thumbs up or thumbs down, man. But we oh, really yeah. appreciate you for coming on, talking to us about the national FCS playoff picture. Obviously, more to be uh, more to be decided in the next couple of weeks, but really going to be fun to, to watch how it shakes out. And then, of course, like we said, Sunday, November 20th, um, the, the, the selection shows on ESPN U or ESPN 3 or something like that, which is like really yeah. annoying. Uh, for ESPN Plus, you know, folks like ourselves. So we're going to have to figure out a way to watch it, but it's, it's going to happen. And, you know, you'll get the bracket soon after if you're patient. So <laughs> someone will laugh tweet it, I'm sure. But yeah, man, yeah. I'll definitely, definitely will stick around, man. Cover, cover this game. And uh, it's a big one. I'm excited for it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this. I mean, so talking now, uh, switching gears, talking about Weber State, you know, the Grizz came down to. Ogden to take on the Wildcats at Stewart game, a huge game, especially after the Wildcats lose a close one to the Montana State Bobcats in Bozeman the week prior on an absolutely crazy rushing day by Tommy Malott. And then a really weird special teams day where there were some highlights. And then there are also some definite lowlights that we still have to continue to hear about on Twitter every day. Um, <laughs> so the one thing that jumps out to me first stat, I wanted to point out to you guys, the, the defense, the Wildcat defense allowed just 114 yards on 55 plays for the Grizz. That is two point yards, 2.1 yards per play and, and a season low for the Grizz. So what in particular did you guys feel like made life difficult for the Grizz offense, which we know is not terribly strong, but still just particularly like two point yards a play, 2.1 yards a play is just, crazy low. Steven, what do you think? You know, I think they didn't, they don't have an identity right now. Um, yeah. they, and where we, their strength was the way, when they were running the wildcat, I thought, and, but we've got a really strong front seven and Winston Reed and Steven Bryant came in and made a couple of really oh. big plays. And I'm so excited to see what, what he continues to bring, but they didn't have that ability to do much of anything and they, they couldn't pass. And if you become one dimensional against our defense, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. You know, the, the Grizz became one dimensional. They didn't run the ball particularly well. Um, and so they were trying to get creative, but they also, you know, I, I, I talked to a guy before and he was saying that like the thing that Chris Brown likes to do is his strength is scrambling and then throwing 
And they, the Wildcats did a fairly good job of keeping him in the pocket for the most part, which is not necessarily his strength being a pocket passer. He wants to, you know, get out and flick it, you know, Patrick Mahomes style. And the Wildcats really didn't allow for that very much. And so it was tough. But I don't know, Zach, what would you think? Like, why was the defense or why did the offense for the Grizz struggle so much against the Wildcat defense, which we knew was a good, obviously a good secondary. Um, but what did you see? You know, the fact that, they didn't have Lucas Johnson, you know, Chris Brown talented. We, we saw him, we saw him perform well against Sac State the week before when, when Lucas went out. But I, 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 t- I said before the game, if they could not run the football, I didn't trust, I didn't trust Chris to throw against that secondary. You look at Heckard, you I, listen, it, I've told you how, what I feel about Maxwell Anderson. Yeah. Um, extremely high on him. And I actually had a scout reach out to me and they think he could be a draft pick. They think he's a Sunday player based on his film. So I just want to throw that out there too. But if they, like you said, if they became one dimensional and they had to throw the football, I didn't give them much of a chance that Weber state defense. I love their, how their run defense excelled, especially after watching what Montana state did to them a week before, but we know how talented Montana state's rushing attack is, but I was a little bit worried. I was like, man, if they can find a way to run the football, this can be a really competitive game. And I agree with what Steven said earlier. I didn't think the score indicated how, well Weber played. I think this this game, if really and truly you break it down, this could have been a two-score game plus. And I, I think they found a way to keep it close late. But man, Weber State's defense continues to be at the elite level, in my opinion. Sure. I mean, that's a good point because like you said, the the touchdown pass to Hayden Meacham to go up two scores, you know, looked like that was boot on the next stuff late in the fourth quarter. Like, nope, this game is over. The Grizz have just basically lost on that on that really good play and smart smart move by Bronson Barron. But then immediately right back, Malik Flowers gets a hundred yard you know kick return for a touchdown, and then it's like, nope. Still pressure, still pressure on this Weber State defense to keep the game in hand. And uh, also Malik Flowers is now one behind Rashid Shahid for tying the all-time NCAA record for kick return touchdowns in his career. So that's who Malik Flowers is, folks. And so when you see that, don't feel bad because he is like Rashid Shahid. And you guys have seen that movie often in Ogden. Another thing I wanted to ask you guys about was we, we talked about how the Grizz run defense was really, really good. Um, they held Cameron Scadaboo a week before to 100 yards, who is a guy who averages, you know, well over that. I haven't checked his average, but I, I bet he averages well over 150 yards, if I'm, if I'm being honest. The Wildcats had 192 yards on the ground as a team. The Grizz only give up 103 on average. So how do you think it was that the Wildcats found that success on the ground? Because there were some huge breakaway plays where like DeMond Bankston gets, you know, a 40 plus yard touchdown run. Dante McMillan has some absolutely massive runs where they were able to break them off. What was it about the schemes that allowed the Wildcats to break through on those run plays? Because that's very uncharacteristic of the Montana defense. I mean, what I saw was a little bit of uh, the old rope-a-dope. You know, you just keep throwing body punches until you overwhelm them. And here's the thing. The Wildcats don't just bring at you one good runner. They bring at you... At least three. On a good day, they bring at you four. Yeah, if everybody's healthy. if, If everybody's healthy. We didn't have Josh, but Chris Jackson is not somebody to be taken lightly. He is... Really, really, really good. And then one of the things, and Colby, you know, I have been the Bronson Homer 
all <laughs> this. And when everybody else was like, no, 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 no. I'm like, no, like you can, I've seen the difference in him. He's not stepping back. He's not, he's not forcing throws. He's making quick throws or he's running. And it was a lot of slants and it was frustrating at times, but again, it worked and it worked when we needed it to work. And we definitely could have scored more, but Montana is not a bad team. Montana is a very good team that's gotten unlucky. And there's only so many body shots you can take before you land something. Yeah, I, I agree with them. I, I, like you said, uh, eventually they're going to wear it down. And also the fact they could not run the football and keep themselves in third and manageable really hurt. I think the defense got tired. I really do. And also Patrick O'Connell going out, which is a huge piece to that front seven. That really hurt them as well. But the fact that they were, what, four for 14 on third downs, I believe, or something like it, it, it was not very efficient. Four for and Weber was able to just keep them out there and eventually they just didn't have the depth to hang. And I think that's why you saw they were able to hold for a little bit, but then you would break that explosive run. And that's almost like a backbreaker for a defense as, as a former O lineman. You could see it in the defensive lineman's eyes when you consistently just hit them in the mouth and then you break a 20 yard run, break a 15 yard run. They're like, man, are we going to be able to stop them? We're going to do this all over again. And that, yeah. that's what Weber was able to do is keep the pressure on the front seven. Yeah, I mean, the Wildcats 8 of 18 on third down conversion in this one for a team that, you know, I mean, I have to go back and check the numbers, but I'm sure Montana is probably right there next to the Wildcats and holding teams on third down. Wildcats probably the best in the conference. Uh, Montana probably right there next to them. That's just me guessing without checking the numbers right now, folks, but that's my very probably educated guess on how it is. And so 8 of 18 against a Montana defense that likes to hold teams, especially on the ground. Like you said, Zach, that's a backbreaker because then it's another series. And the Wildcats, and I think, you know, Stephen, credit to Bronson Bear in the last couple of games because there have been some really, really big third down and fourth down conversions where he's moved the chains. I mean, we saw that in that final drive for the Wildcats against Montana State where the game is on the line. You're down five points. You have to score a touchdown. So you go for it on fourth down. It's like fourth and nine. And Bronson Barron finds a way to get those nine yards and move the chains and keep things going, right? Like he seems to have gotten much, much better at that. And I think that's those are the kinds of plays that are going to pay dividends down the road once we get into the playoffs, because when the chips are down, you got to find a guy that's going to get you yards. And if he doesn't, well, then you get to go home, right? So another question that I have for you guys is uh, I did want to talk about Steven Bryant because he was an absolute revelation in this game. He had two sacks, just sort of a coming out party for Steven Bryant, who was a junior college transfer. Butte College, if you remember, we interviewed um, Brian. Brian Harper is the is the, the the quarterback that we got from Butte College out of Northern California. It's not Butte, Montana, folks. It's Butte College out of Northern Colorado or Northern California. Aaron Rodgers actually played there, by the way, if you didn't know uh, before transferring to Cal. But um, Stephen Bryant transfers and has an absolute day against Chris, Chris Bryant. Like just, just absolutely smothers him, two sacks, a huge game. What do you expect from him going forward though? Like is this, I mean, we're late in the season now, but do you expect that kind of performance to continue where the Wildcat front seven continues to put that pressure? Or was that just a simple matter of scheme for him to find that success? I mean, based on what I've seen so far, and I don't know, um, I wouldn't be shocked if, because he did, 
what is this, the second game he's played in? Yeah. All right. This reads to me redshirt. Um, I don't know. Um, but that's just my previous experience talking. Um, who knows? I could be very wrong and they could be like, Hey, let's ride them the rest of the season. But when you only start to play at the end, so it could be okay. Hey, let's play them against Sac state. And then he sits NAU and Idaho state, but He's impressive, but also we've got a really good front seven and we continuously turn out great defensive linemen. Um, I mean, we're not pro level, but think of, you know, think about some of the amazing uh, pass rushers we've put out in the past couple of years, you know, George Tarlis, Adam Rodriguez, the Sheese brothers. Um, You know, it's not like, so and we still have a solid defense. Um, I'm really excited for uh, Jack Kelly mm. um, and what he's been doing. I thought he's been impressive. Um, so I, I think our defensive line has been so impressive, and I'm just excited to see what they continue to keep doing. And I, knowing that there's so many more people coming into the program that are solid D line. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've got my my tracker going right now. Uh, and there are a ton of D-line guys, defensive ends, defensive tackles who are on the radar for this recruiting class, they're seniors right now. And so it's out there. And it's interesting because it was a position that there were some question marks going into, right? Because like you said, the leadership that the Wildcats had lost, there was a transfer away. Uh, well, there were two transfers away. One to Brigham Young, one to Boise State. You mentioned, you know, George Charles. Um Jared Sheese, graduate, you know, you know, became Mr. Wildcat, but mm-hmm. graduated. And so there were question marks around this unit um, on the defensive line. And it feels like, yes, they have gotten better. You know, Jeff Mullard here pointing out that Zeke Birch uh, has had a really, he's coming to his own this season. Uh, he had, he's had some really big games, uh, especially against, uh, I'm trying to remember, oh, not, not, I think it was against Eastern that he had that absolutely massive game. But anyway, just like the, the defensive line has really stepped up in ways that I don't think we expected. Zach, I mean, do you think that this is something that continues to get better for the Wildcats or is it just a matter of matchup and that the offensive line for the, the Grizz has not been stellar this season. It hasn't been their strength, you know, and you can see that in some of their running, their rushing numbers. Uh, I mean, probably a little bit of both, but ultimately the young players tend to get better with more reps. And maybe it's just a thing of it took a little bit for this unit to gel. And, you know, Stephen may be right. It may be a red shirt. You know, I trust y'all know y'all's roster way better than I do, especially, you know, guys who are young like that. But for me, looking at it from a national perspective, it's so great to have a young guy develop right before the playoffs when depth's going to become much more important. So if you can be at least two deep going into the playoffs, possibly three at some positions, that's where you want to be. That's... That's what you need to be with a big physical offensive line that you're going to see in the playoffs, regardless of who your matchup is, especially when you get to the quarterfinals on, everybody's going to have a great offensive line. Having that depth, just in case someone goes down, just to just to keep fresh bodies in, because we all, all three of us know fresh bodies in the fourth quarter, fourth, fourth quarter equals wins. That's what you have to do in, in competitive games. So I think the more young guys Weber can develop and have ready for late November, early December is great, man. And and that's what you want to see. And that's a 
I would say credit to the coaching staff for having guys who may not have emerged early, but they stayed on them and now they're emerging late as key contributors. Yeah. I mean, credits to, you know, I will. Yeah. And I will say, I don't know what the redshirt rule is once the playoffs start. So I don't know if the four games include the playoffs or not, but I know that. And yeah, I think they do. Cause I know in terms of FBS bowl games count as well. And like oh, championship okay. games. So like if, you know, a player at X school played in the conference championship and the bowl game, and they also played in three regular season games, I don't think their red shirt would hold, which maybe an exception should be made. But I mean, I guess if you got four games and you need a kid late, maybe just save them for those right. big games. I, yeah. I don't know. It's tough. But the FCS is so difficult because what you have more than four rounds potentially. So, I mean, you could lose your red shirt just playing in the playoffs. Yeah, that's a fair point. Last question on this, guys, and then we can move on to the final segment here. Um, the offense scored in every single quarter in this one. Uh, we've talked about the 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 swoon in second and third quarters this season. Um, the, the offense has gotten a little bit soft. They come out with a bang in the first quarter often and then kind of suffered through the second and third quarters before, you know, really piling on in the fourth quarter and often winning the game. That wasn't the case in this one. It was fairly consistent scoring uh, throughout um, some quarters obviously better than others, but pretty much, you know, at least seven points in every quarter, except for the second. Um, how do you take that? Is that an improvement? I mean, cause we've talked about the quality of the Montana defense, um, and, and the way that the rushing game played into that success, um, but well below the season average, which is right around 40 points, which is also offensive coordinator, you know, coach Mickey mentals average not just here but also at d2 notre dame where he was a head coach and an offensive coordinator is this an improvement because of the consistency or is it do you see it as a downgrade because they were well below that average of about 40 points um you know i i was i was happy with the offense i feel like they did what they needed to do against a very very quality opponent um that didn't want to lose. And it was no Montana fans were loud. Montana fans were loud. They were there. Um, so I, I think that you've got to be happy with the offense. Um, the offense was consistent. They didn't, it, it wasn't as frustrating as it, has, as it has been in the past. Um, but at the same time, you know, is there room for improvement? Absolutely. But we came into a really big game with after a, a long week after a rough loss and they they played they they played and they played their hearts out and i don't think they i didn't feel like they quit on plays where sometimes it, in the past it feels like drives they just kind of quit on and they didn't quit like i thought that they played out and they fought for yards and they fought for field position and you gotta leave being happy with that yeah i don't know I mean, Zach, how, I, do you, how do you see it I mean, I think it's good to know that Weaver State can can come out with winning that type of game that you don't have to put up 40 and it kind of takes the pressure off the players to feel to feel like they got to go out there and, and put up 44 again because that's that's probably not realistic moving forward. So to see that your team is good enough to win a 24-21 matchup against a really, a, a really good defense, regardless of who was out missing, there are all American players on that defense. And so I think we were went up against like finalist, uh, you know, watch list guys yeah. and Patrick O'Connell and, and Justin Ford on this team guys, like quality potential NFL guys on this roster. 
Exactly. So I thought it was a, I thought it was a good performance. You, you can't go out there and score 50 a game. I mean, that's not realistic for any team in the country. I thought they played a really solid offensive game against a really competitive defense. Yeah. I mean, and it's like you said, especially in, not in our league, usually, I mean, Sac state, we'll talk about that in the, in the game day show this week. Uh, their offense is prolific. They're probably the best offense in, in the conference this year. Um, and they've put up some pretty good numbers, but um then we'll kind of see how that shakes out. But I agree with you. Yeah, maybe you're right. Like, so long as you're winning some of these close games, like the Davis game, like this game, um, the offense doesn't need to put up that many points so long as, you know, the, the defense can hold. And in those two games, it did. So, all right, guys, last little segment here. Um, we're going to do this really, really quickly. We're going to do Waldo's Magic Gate Ball. And so I'm going to give you guys one question about the remaining three weeks in the big sky. Go ahead and ask your questions, Stephen. What do you want to ask Waldo's Magic 8-Ball for those final three weeks of the Big Sky Slate? You know what? I'll go a little bit off the wall here. Um, should we be nervous about going to Flagstaff? Oh, that was going to be my question. <laughs> ah, That's true. Because like weird stuff happens in Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. If you guys have followed Weber State football for a while, you know that the Wildcats have a weird track record up in up in Flagstaff. It is higher than Ogden by, by about 2,000 feet. So we talk about going up the Flagstaff. We mean it. So let's shake Waldo's Magic 8-Ball. Do the Wildcats need to be worried about going to Northern Arizona for the final game of the season? Shaking it out. Waldo's Magic 8-Ball says, my reply is no. <laughs> so, you don't got to worry about it, man, uh, which is good because NAU has had their troubles. Um, they've really struggled. Uh, RJ Martinez has gotten better in the past couple of weeks, but has, I think, taken a dip in his sophomore season, has not been as prolific as he was as a freshman last year and also when he won, you know, freshman of the year in the Big Sky. Zach, what about you, man? Final three weeks of the Big Sky slate. What's your question for Waldo's Magic 8-Ball? Can you see Davis make a last-minute run for an at-large bid and cause chaos with wins over Idaho and Sac State in the final two weeks of the season. Yeah, because that would be huge for them. If they beat Idaho, uh, it's this week, isn't it? Uh, no, I think they play Idaho oh, State no, no, no. this week. It's next, Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. and so, uh, you know, they, uh, Davis will play Idaho, and then, of course, they do have the, the rivalry game at the end of the season. They will play Sac State. Uh, I think that game is in Sacramento this year. Don't quote They're me They're both that. on the road. Yeah, they got to go to Moscow and Sac State. Yeah, so tough games for Davis, uh, who has had a brutal schedule. If uh, you know, if we can call it that. But let's ask Zach's question: Can the UC Davis Aggies create some chaos and get those those key two wins and make that run at the playoffs? Shaking Waldo's magic eight ball. The answer is. I'll look good. Okay. Dan Hawkins. He's dancing right now. Feeling some, feeling some love from Waldo's magic eight ball guys. This is the best Waldo's magic eight ball session we have had all season. Normally Waldo's magic eight ball, very salty, not tonight. So guys, let me ask my question now. Um, so Steven, I was going to ask about Northern Arizona because weirdness happens uh, against the Jacks up in Flagstaff for some dumb reason for what I, I don't know why. So I'm going to look, um, I'm going to turn the page a little bit and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about, I think maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, uh, no, I don't want to talk about that. I was going to talk about Idaho State. It was like, we don't lose to the stripes. We don't lose to the stripes. And so I don't need to talk about that. I think maybe my question is this. Um, 
one of the key remaining games on the schedule is obviously the Brawl of the Wild. It has huge implications because now Montana State is the, they control their own destiny in their path to the Big Sky Conference auto bid for a potential one or two seed in the country. Should they beat Montana in Bozeman for the final game of the season? Um, but Montana struggling right now. Uh, their schedule softens up a little bit now that they've gone through their gauntlet, having played Idaho, Weber, and Sac State all on the road. Well, not Idaho on the road, but playing those two teams on the road and then waiting for this game against the Bobcats, the NSO on the road. So my question to Waldo's Magic Gate Ball, should the Grizz have confidence going into Bozeman that they can win? Shaking Waldo's Magic Gate Ball, the answer is don't count on it. <laughs> so... Looks like it might be a rough go for the Grizz and Bozeman in the final game of the season, which um, if you're if you're a Wildcat fan, you're hoping for that to happen because it's really the only path the Wildcats have to a potential conference championship and return to our winning ways after last year's slump. Um, so we will see. But uh, it sounds like Wallace Magic 8-Ball says no way. So, all right, guys, let's look at the upcoming schedule really quickly. Um, we talked about this week's game. So Saturday, uh, November 5th, Versus Sac State, 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time is my understanding that the Go W helmets will be on for this game. So you get the throwbacks this for this one. Tickets at WeberStateSports.com. Game will also be on ESPN Plus or KJAZ locally. Tony Parks is calling this one, guys. So uh, you will not have to deal with Alama Harrington and Dave Fox. You're going to get Tony Parks. The game will be well-researched. You're going to enjoy it. If you're not at the game. If you're not, just go to the game. Just go to the game. Sac State's good and you need to be allowed. Then... Schedule lightens up a little bit. Um, final uh, senior day on Saturday, November 12th. The Stripes come to town, Idaho State. 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Tickets at WeberStateSports.com, ESPN Plus, or KJAZ. And then the final game of the season, Wildcats take the trip to Northern Arizona, Saturday, November 19th, 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. That game will be on ESPN Plus. Or make the trip. I've been trying to make that trip for years, and it just never seems to work out. I do have a flight alert from Nashville to Phoenix on for this one. So if I find a good price, I might go too. That's the final game of the season for the Wildcats. Then Sunday, November 20th, the FCS playoff selection show, 10.30 a.m. on ESPNU. That will be what it is. Um, wrap up the show, guys. Email us, weberstateweekly at gmail.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. want to thank Zach McKinnell from the Blue Bloods Pod for hanging out with us tonight, talking a little bit about national, but also talking about our own game uh, versus Montana. Zach, where can folks find out more about what you're doing and all the good stuff that comes from the, from the Blue Bloods? Yeah, uh, you can find our website, thebluebloodspod.com. Find us on YouTube, all podcast streaming platforms, uh, Twitter, social media, at the underscore bluebloods. And myself is just at Zach McKinnell. Man, i uh, got a lot of stuff coming. been trying to get this travel in. I'll be up in Nashville this weekend for the Tennessee State SEMO game. Then um, getting ready for gearing up for the playoffs, man. I've been, uh, I was, I, I got invited to Holy Cross last week and I regret not going now, oh, seeing man. how good it is. But Shoot I was up. looking to make a trip to Weber, Montana State, Montana for the playoffs, man. So it's going to pay off in the end. Well, I didn't realize that Tennessee State was playing SEMO. I still have beef with SEMO from when we played them in 2018. Yeah. Like, I just think they're trash. Dirty. Yeah, mm -hmm. like they're a dirty team. So I may head over to uh, Tennessee State on in uh, in West Nashville and uh, go boo those guys because, man, I like what Eddie George is doing here in Nashville, and I still hate SEMO. So maybe I'll see you there, Zach. Uh, Steven, want to thank good. you, man, for coming in yep. and spending some time with us, talking a little football. We'll wrap it up like we always do, Steven. Weber State, Weber State. Great, great, great. Go Wildcats. <laughs>